Welcome to the Game Changers Pharmacotherapy Podcast, where we navigate the most important changes that affect pharmacotherapy, plus you can earn pharmacy and medicine CE credit. We know you're busy, so use your time effectively by listening, learning, and claiming credit. It's a new way to learn. Just log on to CEimpact.com for more information on podcasts. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. How are you doing? Hope things are going well in your world and hopefully where, wherever you're at, the, the COVID levels are, are not too terrible or not rising too bad. Unfortunately, in my part of the world, they are definitely doing that, but uh, hopefully you're staying safe and, 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 and things are going okay where you're at. Thanks again for taking time to listen. Um, as we always say at the beginning of this, if you are new to us, we're, we try to give a weekly update on what's going on in the world of pharmacotherapy and uh, and try and keep it fresh and try and keep it uh, right up to the minute. Hopefully uh, you'll find this uh, uh, valuable as well as maybe even semi-entertaining. <laughs> uh, uh, please give us a like and a, and a subscribe if you haven't done that wherever you get your podcast. But most importantly, please head over to ceimpact.com. Uh, you can definitely join the pharmacist network, um, what they call TPN there. And it's a very nice little uh, mixture of, of a uh, social, uh, social media thing like LinkedIn where you can ask questions, uh, even of these uh, podcasts to myself, um, as well as uh, have access to all of CEI's excellent CE programs and CME programs. So whether you're a prescriber or you're a pharmacist, you can get CE for listening to this very program. So today we are going to uh, take a look at a paper that was recently published in JAMA, uh, just a, actually a couple of weeks ago, that takes a look at short versus long course uh, antibiotic treatment for urinary tract infections in men. Now, uh, before we get started on the paper, you know, many of you listening are probably well aware of the fact that, you know, men are automatically considered complicated urinary tract infections, right? Because we divide urinary tract infections into complicated and uncomplicated. And I tell my students really the only the only people who really truly get uncomplicated urinary tract infections are young healthy females. Everybody else pretty much has complicated UTIs, and that men definitely fall in, fall into that into that slot. And the the big difference, of course, is that uncomplicated urinary tract infections. We long have had data now showing that short course antibiotics work perfectly fine. And so, you know, the current guidelines from IDSA say that a three day course of Bactrim, a three day course of a quinolone, um, or a five day course of nitrofurantone is is perfectly reasonable in uncomplicated UTIs. The Bactrim uh, recommendation, of course, is predicated on the background level of E. coli resistance to Bactrim in your neck of the woods. So before you, you know, run to run to the bank to cash that check about this statement, make sure you, you know what the background uh, resistance rate is in, in your uh, community. Uh, fortunately, here in Des Moines, it's it's less than 20%. So we're, we're pretty good to still use Bactrim. So that's uncomplicated UTIs in women. In men, it's always been uh, recommended that longer courses, and in fact, usually a full two-week course is recommended for urinary tract infections in men. The reason why is the, the increased risk of, of complications, in particular, the development of prostatitis. And the problem with prostatitis is that not only is it a, a, not a fun thing to have, and it's definitely got its negative clinical aspects, it's difficult to treat because there's only a few antibiotics that penetrate into the prostatic fluid, and it does require extended antibiotics usually in the two to four week range. And so for all those reasons, you know, I was taught really that most of the guidelines would say, you know, extended therapy certainly makes sense 
in uh, urinary tract infections in men. But uh, in the last you know 10 years or so, we've thought that for a lot of infections, and and we've slowly started to realize that that shorter courses often do work in many patient populations for a variety of infections. And so, for urinary tract infections in men, you know, the this paper notes that that even though that's what the guidelines recommend, we really don't have a lot of solid clinical trial data to suggest that, um, especially in men who don't have fever with their urinary tract infection. So uh, there was a study that, that came out a few years ago that looked at two versus four weeks of antibiotic therapy in febrile men with urinary tract infections and found that they were not inferior to each other. So that's kind of where the two weeks, I think, is, is really kind of been jumped on. Um, and then there's been a couple of, of small studies and a couple of observational studies that have suggested that somewhere in the five to seven day range of, of therapy for men with urinary tract infections might be okay and might not be inferior to a longer course. Uh, the exception of that uh, was a small study that looked at uh, urinary tract infections in men with spinal cord injury and found that three days of therapy was inferior to 14 days. So I think a lot of people are saying, well, we probably can't do the super short courses that we do with uncomplicated UTIs in, in young healthy women, but do we really need the full two courses of therapy? And that's where this study comes in. It was a double-blind uh, uh, placebo-controlled randomized study done in the Veterans Affairs Systems in uh, Minnesota and Texas. And so that's obviously a population that's going to have a lot of men and probably a lot of men with urinary tract problems. So that's certainly a good place to, to do this kind of study. Uh, in the study itself, uh, they included uh, patients who were over 18, obviously male, <laughs> makes sense, uh, and they were treated in the outpatient setting. Importantly, they had to be afebrile. And I think that was one of the, because I think with the previous study suggesting that, that two weeks was not inferior to four weeks, they wanted to target patients who frankly probably had fewer symptoms than had more severe symptoms. And these people were initially prescribed uh, either seven to 14 days of either ciprofloxacin or trimsulfa or Bactrim um, for their urinary tract treatment by their clinician. The reason they picked these two, because at the time the study was initiated, that those two uh, drugs were responsible for over 90% of the treatment for male urinary tract infections in the VA system. And so they figured that would help facilitate blinding, and that kind of makes sense. They also had to have at least a one symptom of urinary tract infection, so dysuria, frequency, urgency, hematuria, or CVA tenderness, or a perineal flank or suprapubic pain. The treatment needed to be completely in an outpatient setting. So again, these patients were relatively healthy. They weren't super sick. They didn't be, need to be hospitalized or anything like that. They excluded patients uh, who had uh, treatment for UTI in the last 14 days and uh, symptoms that led the treating clinician to figure that it might not be a urinary tract infection. Again, people had a documented fever of greater than 38 degrees centigrade and a growth of an organism that was not susceptible to either the trim sulfa or the ciprofloxacin. It is interesting to note, though, that they did not require a positive urine culture for enrollment, although it was encouraged. Um, in women, of course, we often, especially young, young healthy women, we usually don't need a, a urine culture if they, if they have symptoms and the UA looks like a, a UTI, you just treat them. Since especially from the community, E. coli is going to be the bug over 90% of the time. But here, they didn't require it, but I, I suspect the vast, vast majority of these patients did, in fact, get a urine culture. So how the study worked, then, is a patient showed up at the clinic coordinator on day eight of treatment. So they'd already received a week of treatment, right? They were explained what was going on with the study, given informed consent, and then they were either dispensed uh, a continuation of another week of therapy, so a total of 14 days therapy, or a placebo. And interestingly, they say the study medication was either the same antimicrobial as initially prescribed, but from a different manufacturer, or a placebo tablet of similar size. And that's all they say. So 
that's it. I mean, so, I mean, I think the point was that they, they gave them another pill and, and so they said, okay, well, you know, we're going to give you Cipro from manufacturer B instead of manufacturer A. So it's going to look different or it's going to be a placebo of the similar size. That might've been as close as they could come to, to making a true placebo, but that is kind of interesting, I think, in the study. Then, you know, they were, again, so they basically they got another week of either placebo through days eight through 14, or they got the same antibiotic for days through, through, through eight for 14. And they sort of then were followed. The primary endpoint was resolution of the initial UTI symptoms by day 14 after completion of the treatment, whether it's the active treatment or the placebo. This is a clinical endpoint that has been used in other uh, UTI trials with men in urinary tract infections. And so what they did was they were asked about UTI symptoms on day seven and then day 14. This was a non-inferiority study. Like so many studies in infectious diseases now, um, you really don't see a whole lot of superiority studies anymore. Uh, really, the point of the study was in this trial was just to, that seven days would not be statistically inferior to 14 days of therapy. Uh, like most non-inferiority studies, they set it up a non-inferiority margin of 10%, which basically just meant that the 95% confidence interval of the placebo arm uh, needed to be less than 10% of active treatment arm. So that that 95% confidence interval didn't go below 10%. That meant that they could declare non-inferiority, and that's pretty standard in, in a lot of studies, again, a lot of infectious disease studies. Power is always really important in non-inferiority studies because you have to make sure you have enough patients to show a difference if one existed. And so they needed a, a 290 patients, they estimated, uh, with an 85% power and a one-sided alpha of 0.25, which again is, is common in non-inferiority studies. You only need a one-sided alpha for that. They, again, they use this 95, 7.5 confidence interval for non-inferiority. And so basically, if the 95% confidence interval did not cross the non-inferiority margin of 10%, they did declare that the seven-day treatment was, was not inferior to the 14-day treatment. So that's how they did that. They unfortunately did not quite meet power. It actually took them five years, which which kind of blows my mind. I, I am not going to lie. I, this is, you know, very large VA systems, and it took them five years to recruit 272 patients. And again, urinary tract infections in men are not that rare. So I suspect they did have quite a bit of challenge recruiting patients, probably patients who are day, day seven of therapy are like, why would I go back to the doctor to do anything else. And so uh, without some sort of, of incentive, I suspect that a lot of patients just said, yeah, I'm going to, why would I do that? That doesn't make any sense. And so because of that, yeah, it took them five years and the bringing in of several new VA uh, hospital systems to, to reach 272 patients. So again, they didn't quite reach power in, in the study. Uh, as far as baseline demographics, uh, they're pretty much the patients you would suspect in a veterans administration system, average age of 70, uh, majority were Caucasian, uh, these were, again, were, were fairly healthy patients. Their Charlton comorbidity index, which basically just kind of a numeric uh, system of, of basically how many diseases you have and how acutely ill you are was one, and both of them so very low. So these were, again, pretty healthy people all being treated as outpatients. Um, because they were men and because they're older, uh, a significant number of them had some sort of urinary tract-related comorbidity. About 15% in each group had a history of prostate cancer. Uh, about 40% in each group had a history of prostatic hypertrophy, which, again, pretty common. In, in this male population, as you might imagine. And of particular interest, um, about 60% in both groups had a history of prior urinary tract infections. So that's pretty interesting. About 30% of patients in both groups had diabetes as well. So 
again, I, you know, I think a pretty good snapshot of the patients who are in the majority of Veterans Administration's uh, systems in the United States, I, I think was a pretty good snapshot of that. But again, 272 patients instead of the 290 that they needed. So talking about this study, looking at seven versus 14 days of therapy in male patients with urinary tract infections, what did they find? They found in the primary outcome, again, that resolution of urinary tract systems by day 14 occurred in 91.7% of patients in 91.7 patients in the as treated population and 91.2% in the as randomized population. So they did look at patients who were just randomized and then as treated. Then when they broke it down uh, by symptom resolution in the seven-day group, that was 93.1% of patients had complete symptom resolution uh, in the seven-day group who then got seven days in placebo compared to 90.2% in the 14-day group. So you know, taking a step back, even not even thinking about the statistics, 93% of patients who only got seven days of antibiotics had treatment resolution compared to 90% of the 14-day patients who got antibiotics who had resolution. So as you might imagine, the 95% confidence interval did certainly did not go below 10% since the since it was actually higher than the, the active arm that didn't meet the non-inferiority criteria. They looked at a number of secondary outcomes, and there was actually no difference in any of the secondary outcomes. You know, things like, you know, resolution of different types of symptoms, um, things along those lines. Now, of course, you know, when we're looking at short versus long-term antibiotics, one of the things we want to think about is adverse effects. And so in number of patients who reported an adverse effect was slightly higher in the as randomized population, um, about 20.6% of patients, 20% of patients in the seven-day arm reported an adverse effect compared to 24% in the 14-day group. They were pretty minor adverse effects. So again, there was no incidences of C. diff, for example, or anything along those lines. They did note that patients uh, who had diabetes and received quinolones, there was actually a uh, increased risk of dysglycemia. Actually, they found that, that 11 patients who had diabetes and received Cipro had some sort of abnormal blood glucose after they received that, and that was much lower than the group that received trimethylsulfamoxyl, which certainly makes sense because we know that dysglycemia is, is one of the side effects, one of the seemingly long litany of side effects that quinolones seem to be having nowadays. So that doesn't really surprise us. So, you know, there was a slightly increased uh, number of adverse effects in the patients who got 14 days of antibiotic, but nothing to particularly write home about. But again, the only 290 patients, if, I think you'd need a much higher, much bigger study to show, you know, boy, we have a way higher incidence of C. diff, or boy, we have a way higher incidence of drug allergy or something like that compared to a uh, 7A arm. So I'm not really uh, too concerned about that. One thing that disconcerned me is they did not look at prostatitis rates. Again, one of the things that I was always taught is that, you know, the reasons you use longer treatment is that you increase the risk of developing prostatitis if you do inadequately treat urinary tract infections in men. And prostatitis, of course, is, is a very difficult infection to treat. So they didn't look at that, but one would assume that was an issue that was coming up that would have been shown up in their average drug reaction profile. I did not see that in their chart. So the authors basically walked away from is saying is that this does open up, I think, a shorter course antibiotic use in men with urinary tract infections uh, to a much greater extent than was ever done before. It seems that as long as you don't have a fever and you're relatively healthy enough to be treated as an outpatient, uh, seven days of antibiotics seems to work pretty decently. I think a lot of this is going to depend, and fortunately, their numbers were small enough that they really weren't able to do any subgroup analysis because it'd been very interesting to see. Uh, they had a small percentage of patients who had long-term indwelling Foley catheters where the outcome same there, and you would, of course, never have the power to show that the two treatment courses were similar between the two. So that makes things a little bit challenging, but on the whole, like, they seem to find that they were, the two were actually fairly similar to each other. So this really, I think, will change a lot of practice. I think, you know, 14 days of antibiotics for a lot of things is kind of going by the wayside. And 
we know that shorter course antibiotics for things like, you know, community acquired pneumonia, and again, uncomplicated urinary tract infections and uncomplicated skin and soft tissue infections really should be the rule and not the exception that most patients should get, you know, somewhere between three and seven days of, of antibiotic therapy for most of those diseases. And now it seems that for at least, you know, relatively low risk urinary tract infections in men, it seems that seven days of therapy is at least as good at 14 days. This was a pretty well done study, in my opinion, again, some blips that we've talked about, but, but nothing that really jumped out at me and saying that this is a big red flag, or there is something to, to question the results. And so I think even though this is a relatively small study, this is something that I think, you know, prescribers and pharmacists can really kind of take to the bank and say, you know, when, when someone asks you about treatment courses for, for men, again, just as long as they're being treated as an outpatient, don't have a fever, I think seven days makes sense. In my system, we're trying to get away from using quinolones all the time, and I think we've actually made some pretty good headway in the last uh, two, three to five years on that. Uh, part of that has largely been, been antimicrobial stewardship initiatives, such as taking quinolones out of the, the urine culture results from outpatient urine culture results. And so, so to get them, that we have to, you actually have to call the, the micro lab to get the results. I think that alone has dramatically decreased its shifted prescribers selection away from quinolones. And again, the reason for for that is that, you know, quinolones in and of themselves have a ever-growing litany of weirdo side effects. You know, we talked about this glycemia, just recently aortic dissection in the last six months, peripheral neuropathy has been now reported. We've gone far beyond just the, oh, hey, I blew up my Achilles tendon, which is in the old days, what we used to think was one of the worst side effects you could get with Cipro. It seems to, with quinolones that we do have more side effects to worry about. And I think the FDA and, and a lot of the larger organizations that were really trying to shift away quinolone use, unless you just really have have to use quinolone for some other clinical reason. So, you know, I think, you know, could you could you extrapolate this data to other um, antibiotics? That makes things a little bit tricky. Would this work with nitrofurantoin? Would this work for phosphomycin? Would this work for, you know, oral uh, cephalosporins? I'm not sure we can really make that selection. I probably would not do that just because, again, as in the treatments with urinary tract infections, uncomplicated UTIs in females, the guidelines are pretty clear that, you know, really only select antibiotics for short-course antibiotics that have actually been studied. And so, you know, we don't talk about short course treatment with Augmentin or Septonir or because of that reason, they've just never been studied in, in longer courses. And so I think really at this point, I would stick to using either Bactrim or Quinolone for this if you're going to use a seven-day course of therapy. So that does it for this episode of Game Changers. Thank you again for listening. Please like us or subscribe, as I said before, and again, head over to CE Impact and take a look at how for a very affordable price you can get CE for just listening to my voice and answering a few questions, as well as a lot of other great CE programs that should fit whatever needs that you have. I hope you have a good day, and remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Take care. Thanks for listening in. Check out the CE for this podcast at ceimpact.com or download the Pharmacy Network app by searching CE Impact in your app store and join the Game Changers Podcast Academy. Happy learning!